It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. Already halfway through season one with our friends at Banyan Tree 21, a residential addiction rehab located in Chiang Mai, Thailand, using a fusion of best Western practices and traditional Eastern medicine at a truly affordable cost. Visit www.banyantree21.com for more. It's caller 10 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hey, Nick. Yo. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for calling. So, you know the deal? Yeah. Just don't say your name. Don't say exactly where you're from. Yeah, cool. All right. So tell me about your addiction. All right. Um, I actually did not try anything till I, well, so I started smoking weed when I was about 15-ish. Um, and I was that kid, like, at least in middle school and stuff, that was quite straight edge, um, as most middle schoolers should be. But um, my parents were very uh, anti-drugs and alcohol. And I didn't really grow up with my dad because he was um, an alcoholic that we was, you know, DUIs and stuff like that. Um, but my parents are like very educated, like PhD educated and um, we're like an upper class family. So that kind of stuff just didn't really like click for me very well. Um, I got diagnosed at 14 with um, depression and anxiety with a high potential bipolar disorder. And I, I was a high achiever in high school. I took all AP classes every year. I would, was had like high expectations for college and all that. Um, when I was younger, I was in a really intense relationship from about age like 14 to 15-ish. Way too intense for that age, which in retrospect is... Uh, I just don't think I was mature enough to handle the, you know, that kind of emotional attachment to somebody. And when we broke up, um, I was already in an unstable place. I like took my skateboard up this gigantic hill and just went for it and got super fucked up. Um, so my mom gave me Percocet to deal with, like, cause I was like super battered up. And so that was the first time I felt a mind-altering substance, actually, with that Percocet. Um, like, it had, like, a real script perk, because she doesn't take them, but she's had surgery, so they, like, sit around the house. Um, and from there, like, you don't forget, like, that perk feeling. And um, at a certain point in high school, when I was, like, maybe 16-ish, I got these kidney stones, and they gave me Vicodin for it. And for whatever reason, at that time, the Vicodin just was like not it. It gave me really bad mood swings and stuff. So my mom managed to get it replaced with Percocet, like not in a not in a bad way. Not that she was trying, you know, she was just trying to get me a painkiller that would work for me. Um, so then there's more perks. 
Um, and I just got this obsession with them, like the remaining ones when college admission time came around, then, you know, fast forward a year or so. I, uh, I did well. I got into a lot of schools, but, you know, my dream school I didn't get into. And I, uh, took a perk and just like watch this basketball documentary. <laughs> it would have been so dry otherwise, but, uh, you know, ended up like crying about it you know, out of, out of sympathy for this dude who, uh, is a college player, but he doesn't get paid, you know, that whole thing. And I just realized like the, the, emo- the emotion that I can feel and the like love for others and stuff like that on OP is just so cool and incredible. Um, I didn't really think about it as something that like can lead you in a terrible place because when you're a teenager, you know, you have very limited access to that. I'd like have to wait for a relative to get surgery. Um, when I went to college, I, you know, I went out of state and everything changed really dramatically from there. I went to a party school and so, you know, Coke every single weekend, um, drinking every weekend, binge drinking and a lot of psychedelics, but I never, I would never say a bad thing about the psychs because I think that those were a big, you know, a big part of, um, healing me from a lot of things um but i started seeing um somebody who i liked very much who had dated my cousin um in high school so as he, he told me he didn't have a problem you know with us like seeing each other and uh okay, i was okay with that so whatever but um i was moving back to school anyway and so like my sophomore year of college, I, uh, I, uh, this guy hit me up, sent me a picture of what looked like Coke, white powder, crystals, all that, um, at a really good price. And he was like my boy who I bought from pretty often. So I said, I'd come pick it up. And we, uh, I drove over there, um, with a friend to the parking lot of a pizza place. And he asked me if I'd ever done ketamine before. And I was like, not trying to get in, you know, embarrass myself. So I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I do ketamine. <laughs> that stuff that people do. Um, and so I bought it from him because I wasn't going to back out of the deal for like being a dumbass, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and so uh, I tried ketamine for the first time. I know what you mean. Ketamine is not one of those things that originally you're actually looking for. You're not like, oh, I got I got to try that horse tranquilizer stuff. <laughs> I am not a fan of ketamine. The high, it kind of feels like every emotion is incredibly new, but like in the worst way possible. No, you're so right. I honestly had only heard of it online and on like TV shows. <laughs> Um, but I don't know. I didn't want to be that guy. So yeah. So I bought that and, um, we, we tried a bit, like I used to research this shit out of like everything I would do. So I was like, kind of knew what to expect, but I'd never done a disassociative. So the ketamine, it was like walking into your, I walked back into my apartment and it was my apartment, but I didn't recognize any of it. But in the coolest way, it was like, I was seeing everything new for the first time. Um, I liked it so much, so I was constantly buying it. And then I, um, you know, I'd mix it with acid. We went through this big acid phase. Um, but anyway, that April, I rolled with that girl who came out to visit me. Um, we had a great time. It was like a very 
pure clean time, whatever. I had rolled once before, but it was laced with meth, and that was a very scary, bad experience. Um, I don't fuck with meth, and I wouldn't do that again, you know, knowingly. Um, but after that, I went back to um, my hometown for the summer and where she's from, and we decided to start dating and that we would make long-distance work if we had to. And I, my cousin, who's, you know, he is like my best friend and like very, uh, you know, same age as me, close to me, whatever. They, he and this girl were still like ex- extremely good friends. Um, we decided to like clear it with him and he was like all of a sudden very, very pissed off about it. So he was like threatening suicide and being all like that. And I was kind of like, man, let's just talk. I like if if it means this much to you, I won't date her. It's fine. And he had been doing DXM a lot, which I had been talking to him about about how he needs to like chill that out because to me, DXM is is a scary drug and not a place you want to go, uh, especially if you're somebody who has depression and stuff like that. It is just horrible. But he didn't. I don't know. He was buying the pills and like just doing so much fucking DXM and drinking with it. And uh, one day he just killed himself. Like, the day before we were going to talk. Um, so that, like, that literally turned my life over. Because he 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 straight up told both me and my, she's now my now girlfriend. Um, we're still dating. Um it just like literally spun our entire lives because that's that's what he told us it was our fault and then just talked himself like just like that um i didn't think of my drug use as a problem at all for quite some time because like i thought i was having fun because i was um i really had a great time in those first two years of college and i was doing great like i was getting like really good grades and nothing was wrong. Like my life was really going in a good direction. And so like to cope with his death and also being, since we were the closest people to him, like we had the responsibility of telling everybody and making that all work. And I just started doing ketamine every single day to like remove myself a little bit. Um, and that daily use continued for Oh my God, like two and a half years, maybe it was like, wake up, do ketamine, like go to class, come home, do more ketamine, like do like cook dinner, whatever, go to the gym, do more ketamine, go to sleep. Yeah. And do ketamine before you go to sleep. It was just fucking crazy. Um, in a way it just like removed me just enough from life that I could like function super well because if I didn't have it like I had no motivation to do anything um, but I was like blessed with the fact that ketamine does not have physical withdrawals but I was also a- a- tricked by that whole you know ketamine and weed aren't addictive um, just because they don't have physical withdrawals even though weed absolutely does and ketamine does to a point um, then I meet this guy who's like does heroin and shit and uh, he 
sells me the M30s, the Dirty 30s. If anyone is familiar with the Dirty 30s, you know how fucked that is. So that's just fentanyl right there. Um, and this is around, like, um, I honestly just wanted some perks because I've gotten, like, real script perks, like, here and there when, like, a friend has surgery and they're, like, don't walk on it you know i'll buy it off them or like getting my wisdom teeth out or uh when i got surgery in november of 2019 they want to give me tram at all because it was a super minor surgery and i told them i was like allergic to it so they they gave me vicodin and i got super into that and then i managed to get them to get me more fills of the vicodin so that leads to when i met michael in like december um and he gave me those and so i started snorting those up like all the time uh, walking to class, you know, <laughs> taking a break to throw up in the trash can, like get to class, take a break to go throw up outside the classroom in the trash can, like just giving a presentation and then running out to throw up. It was super unmanageable. Um, but that that's what like opiates does. Um, and then I decided I needed to like stop doing that. Cause I was, I'd wake up and I'd mix it with ketamine. I'd mix like a blue line with a white line. Just do that. My, uh, my parents came to visit and, um, I, I had been doing quite a bit of the Roxy all day. I justified it by saying my parents were here and I needed to be like on my best behavior or whatever, which <laughs> is drugs. Somehow drugs convince you to be like that. Um, and then we went to, we went out to dinner cause it was for my birthday and I just got like super drunk, super, 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 super drunk. Cause that's like the one thing I used to be able to do with my parents was just get super drunk because I'm, I'm pretty good at hiding if I'm drunk and they wouldn't notice anyway. Um, but I went home like that drunk and just snorted up a bunch of oxy and, uh, just OD'd on the couch while my friends were playing Mario Kart. Um, and no one noticed for like a sec because they thought I was sleeping. Um, and I don't know how long I was not breathing. Like that's something that really fucks with me still uh, because I really like admire at least my cognitive ability. I'm a manager at in where I work and I'm I'm ahead in life in in some aspects you know but it, it makes you feel um like an imposter almost like nobody at my work would ever think that I OD on the couch <laughs> um but thank god one of my roommates knew CPR and they did a bunch of CPR on me got 911 paramedics whatever had a pretty traumatic experience with the paramedics because they like yelled at me about being an addict and stuff. But this was really my first time even really considering that word. Um, so after, you know, that experience, I went back home to my hometown after that. And, you know, that forced me to get off. But I found plugs here. And my hometown's a lot different than college. In college, all the dealers cut everything with harmless substances, you know, like B12 and what have you. Um, here, it's just like, fuck, fuck all. <laughs> you know, it, the drugs are a lot stronger in a city versus a college town. Um, so I started buying ketamine from this guy that was just insane. I, I would pull from like 
one line um, daily. I was like in a K-hole daily. I've heard in a lot of cases, some people are looking for the K-hole. They get addicted to that feeling because it's euphoric as long as you don't get it through a frightening dose. Yeah, and you know, you're not wrong. There are people like that. (laughs) I've heard really good things about a K-hole. In my experience, it's not it. (laughs) But also, it's all about like set and setting. Um, I've had good K-holes. Like I had a great one with a friend once because we put on like the right lights and had the right, you know, low anxiety time. But for me, like I was, I was really using it as an antidepressant. I think, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, with, uh, ketamine therapy for, for treatment resistant depression. There's actually a ketamine clinic here in the city. I live in, in British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. And so it's like, it's a very promising treatment. I work in the uh, mental health field and I'm really into, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, not, <laughs> not in huge doses, but yeah, a lot of people love the K-hole cause you can, you can have these really awesome visuals and stuff. You can, um, yeah, the, the problem is, is I don't get the visuals from ketamine for some reason. I get the wavy, you know, look where everything looks different and whatever, but I don't really see anything like my mind doesn't conjure up anything. So K-hole for me just feels like I don't exist for a sec, but I do at the same time. And it's very um, alienating. So not really my thing. I think for somebody who has a really good like visual sense and can picture images easily, a K-hole would probably be super sick. So um, I don't know. I actually, I, I did pretty well for like a while there. I got a really good job and I was... Um, you know, just working on the cat thing. Like I'd get off, get back on, get off, get back on. And then, um, my boy from college, this guy I met, he turns out to be like a big time distributor of everything. And, um, I just messaged him asking him for some perks. But, um, since I had overdosed, like I never wanted to fuck with the with the M's again, I didn't want to fuck with Oxycontin, fentanyl, none of that. Just like only the script pills. But I got way too into it way too quickly. So I was doing them like every day. So obviously that's kind of a recipe for the worst. Um, and, and I was like back on them for, God, for like, I want to say like a month and a half or so. But I also was taking Xanax like kind of whenever, even though, I, I, it's not even my drug doesn't really do much for me. Um, mixed them one night and OD'd again here in my, uh, room where I am like standing right now. (laughs) Um, and that was fucked. I'm really glad my girlfriend like walked in to see me because it was just like one night after work. Um, and no one knew I was on these. I bought them and had them secretly and stuff. Um, so I was pretty like terrifying and the paramedics came and gave me the Narcan and all that. Um, and then I had to go through this whole, like, you need to go to the hospital. No, I'm fine. Like, yes, go to the hospital. Like, no, I'm fine. You know, thing. But cause I just cannot afford that shit. Every, like the last time I OD'd that shit ended up costing like $3,500 between the ambulance and the, and I, and then I have insurance too. 
so it's just like whack. But um, I made them not take me to the hospital, and I was fine. But like, I, I still worry about that time, considering how recent it was. That was in like May of this year. Um, I just worry about like my health, my brain, stuff like that. I'm off that now. I actually, uh, I went to the desert with my parents and decided to withdraw. Um, my parents don't know about any of this, by the way. They don't even know <laughs> that I smoke weed. They knew I OD'd the first time, and I somehow got out got out of that without even going to rehab or really anything. That's the thing. I hold a lot of resentment about um, the people in my life that are aware of what I'm going through and don't think it's much of a big deal just because I am pretty high functioning as a person. But um, I've tried to reach out for help and it just hasn't really worked. So I'm doing the like solo method. <laughs> um, but I don't blame anyone either. It's all about, I guess, how you present yourself and how open you are and so on. And that solo detox, that's what you're doing as we speak. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I've gotten completely off opiates and have been. I, When I went to the desert, I withdrew, and I withdrew so bad going cold turkey that I uh, ended up in the ER. And uh, by some fucking miracle, they don't realize it's opiate withdrawal, right? That This is in, like, June. They, like... Well, I was really skinny at the time. I was like extremely skinny uh, from the addiction. And they said it was like malnourishment. <laughs> so my parents were like, eat, 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 like forced me to eat all the time. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just kicked it. I, I got completely off. Like I went through that withdrawal. I withdrew for like a good solid another two weeks of like waking up in the morning and throwing up not holding food down feeling like shit all that um benzos like vans helped a lot with that but then i had to go through the van withdrawal which arguably was much worse uh instead of going through physical flu symptoms like you do with the opiates with the benzos you get this soul crushing anxiety constantly you can't sleep you twitch um the twitching was like unbelievably bad. You lay down in bed and your whole body just, it's like an electric jolt. Um, so went through that one too, got through that. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm off all of that now. But um, lately alcohol is, is the killer for me because it's so convenient, like everywhere. And it, you know, it makes me confident, but, I'm learning that this come down from alcohol is actually like so fucking intense, almost comparable to a hard drug. And I do kind of consider alcohol a hard drug. Uh, that's where I'm at now. Um, so you've detoxed off of your drug of choice, but you haven't yet got treatment for addiction. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. Is that something you want to do? Do you want treatment? get treatment yeah it is um i don't want to like reveal too much personal information but given my family's occupation and i um and i'm involved in their business and so on and it has to do with mental health um rehab just isn't really an option for me for 
unless I really want to drastically change my whole life and people's perception of me, I, I guess. Uh, that sounds kind of like a pussy thing, but... So is it fair to say there is a stigma in your family with regards to addiction? Yeah, a little bit, which is so funny because what we do is help people. I just feel like it can't be me, <laughs> you know? It's just like, it's too, it's too close. Um, I, I feel like I wouldn't be able to keep my job and then also have it be open that I have an addiction problem. Um, I did I did go to therapy for some time um, and I really hoped that would make a difference. It just, I don't know, I just didn't. You know, listening to your story and stories from other callers, it's obvious that there's a Ferris wheel of mind-altering medications that are prescribed to us to avoid pain. It's like we were raised on the concept of pain avoidance. Whether we're abusing or not abusing, naturally, a generation of pill poppers were raised. No, I think you're so right there. Uh, I, I, I got, uh, diagnosed, or I got uh, prescribed Adderall when I was 13. Um, and that shit, dude, just, I think that, was kind of what fueled my anxiety and depression and crazy fuckingness when I was like 14. That got me all like emo. And then with the Percocet thing, like I was 15 years old and we just have this shit laying around the house, you know? So I, I think you're, you're totally right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's such a secret thing and that, that causes you me to harbor a whole lot of shame and guilt over this. Um, I think it causes me so much more internal suffering than I would need to because I'm on the outside. People look up to me, um, you know, not like a narcissistic way, just with what I do. Like in in outside of work, I don't have much of a life. Like I, I just sit at home and like drink or do my drugs or whatever. Um, but like it, but like at work, I really do present an image. Um, and so that that double sided thing, that double life aspect, has really messed me up internally. Um, and then in terms of like the physical stuff, it's it's really impossible to have a really like functional life. It's impossible to relax um, because you constantly need to be getting through whatever you're withdrawing from. Um, your mood, you know, my moods swing constantly. Uh, the only reason this hasn't impacted me financially is because I work like 60 plus hours a week. Um, and so everyone's always thinks that I'm overworking myself, but I think it's really just cause I'm on drugs all the time, not lately, but like that's kind of been the cycle. Um, and that's how I did it in college too. I sold drugs to afford drugs for people that, I do have a lot of privilege. The fact that I got to go to college, the fact that I'm involved in this business and can make this kind of money and stuff like that to support this. I feel lucky, but I also feel like a piece of shit for wasting it on something like drugs. I'm personally very liberal. And I think that economic opportunity is really important. And for addicts that are in, you know, very dire situations, especially financially, my heart goes out to them. Um, because that, I'm, I'm, that's the one way that the, the addiction hasn't really gotten me. But also, like, that doesn't mean that, you know, I, 
I work so much and it's not like someone like me was not addicted to anything and worked this much. Like I could afford so many things and all these goals that I'm supposed to be working toward and all this shit. Um, I just, I just feel kind of like I threw, I threw my life off track and since nobody knows about it, especially now my parents, cause they're, they're kind of hard asses. Um, I don't really like know how to fix. I don't know even where to start or who to talk to because it all feels very secret. So I'd say the way that drugs have affected my life is giving me this um, mental like anguish that honestly never needed to be there. It's unfortunate that you feel that type of shame that you talked about, especially because we don't typically shame the sick. And I hope you find a way to somehow fight through this stigma and seek treatment when you're ready. And maybe even at that point, you can give us a call back. That'd be great. Honestly, um, I would love to get into recovery and come back and be a little bit better. But, you know, I'm on my way there. Society often has a guilt-free reaction to those struggling with addiction. We often hear correlations of moral deficiency used to describe an addict. Words like crackhead or tweaker. Although in seemingly no other case would it be acceptable to use such degrading language to describe someone with a mental health condition. And clearly if those stigmas didn't exist, callers like this one would be more likely to seek treatment. So let's continue to break those stigmas right here on Addicts in the Dark. Once again, my name is Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. If you want to anonymously tell your story about addiction, find Addicts in the Dark on Instagram.